Numbers chapter 25, here in the very beginning in verses 1 through 3, we see very clearly a challenge with the, uh, the people of Israel. Uh, they've already been tested here. They don't even know it. We have a situation, as you saw in the last couple of chapters, a couple of characters of Balak and Balaam. And Balak uh, did a hiring job of trying to find a prophet for hire, a quasi-prophet to come and to curse God's people. And they... He tried four times to curse, and that didn't turn out very well for him, but also for Balak, the king who hired him to curse him, because Balak had at least enough understanding to know that he wasn't going to conquer God's people out of fear, thinking they were going to come after the Moab, Moab in Moab to go against the Moabites, his, his people. But God's intention, we know in the scripture, was never intending for his people to go in and do anything to the Moabites. But he didn't know that. He just saw this massive people coming and he he knew that he wasn't going to outnumber them unless they were weakened spiritually. Because he, even as a pagan king, knew that God was with these people because they were able to accomplish and conquer so many others and make it through the wilderness. I mean, he, they knew the story of what was happening with God working with his people. And so he thought, okay, I'll go find some spiritual guy and get this spiritual guy to somehow curse the people and weaken them so that I can go in there and militarily take over. Well, that, again, did not go well. But we get a little bit more insight of what happened after that fourth time where actually Balak ended up being the one being cursed because God said it's not going to happen. You're not going to curse my people. Nothing's going to happen to my people unless I choose to allow that to happen to the people. But we see something in the scriptures here today and, and, and what happened after that little moment. You thought it was all over and done with, but it wasn't. It continued here as we will see in Numbers 25 um, and 26. Now Israel remained in the Akishia Grove. The people began to commit uh, harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So as we have seen with this prophet to you know quasi prophet Balaam he's being unsuccessful in cursing God's people because he understood that he could only say the words that God gave him and God never gave him words to curse but to bless and so he understood that that he was not going to be able to curse God's people and there was no no way that was going to to, to, to happen, but evidently managed to play a role in finding a way to get after God's people. If he couldn't curse them by saying the words, he understood and wise enough that he could teach Balak and the people of Moab to seduce by Baal, the cult of Peor, that we will see in chapter 31, verse 16, Revelation 2, 14 reference. Here they are remaining, as Israel, remaining in Acacia Grove, which is 
uh, immediately east of the Jordan River where they camped before the, uh, crossing the river. We see that in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And the Israelite men started to engage in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. How did that happen? Well, because they were probably sitting around too long and not moving forward and being uh, obviously uh, uh, vulnerable because what we found was that this Mo- the women of Moab, Moab coming among the men of Israel started seducing to both sexual sin and idolatry. It causing them here we see in the scripture to bow down to their gods. How did that happen? How did you go from bowing down when the, the one and true God that brought them through the wilderness to now bowing down to multiple gods? Because when you're in the flesh and when you live by the flesh and you desire the things of the flesh, you will compromise and you will fall to false gods. You will follow anybody and, and, and certainly seductive women to men. And that is exactly how the uh, curse was going to come upon God's people is by within, not on the outside. God wasn't going to allow the cursing to happen on the outside. But Balaam understood and told Balak, as we will find, is that how you get after them and make them weak is to have them do things that goes against their own God. That is how you weaken God's people. And so we see that's how the, the attack comes from the enemy. That there was this, there were two commonly connected uh, moments here, and that was in the forms of a, uh, idol worship in the ancient world of their, these false gods and the lust with the flesh. In this chapter, the women and their people were at times described as uh, Midianites or sometimes Moabites, the same people in the scripture. And it's because of these Midianites were a nomadic group. And as the time came upon, their numbers, high numbers, uh, were blended with the overall Moabite culture. But here Israel was joined to uh, Baal of Peor. Now, Baal was the great Canaanite fertility god, and the worship of Baal was a constant enticement for the children of Israel, as we see in the scripture. But Balaam prophesied from the high places of Baal, if you remember when we studied in Numbers chapter 22, verse 41, possibly the same place, Baal Peor, that we know of here, is where this is all taking place. And they see that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. What would cause now God's anger to come against his people? It's because Balaam never, never would have paid or didn't pay Balaam to make, uh, to, to, would have paid Balaam to, uh, for doing a big price. I mean, huge money. He was given, willing to give anything for Balaam to curse his people, and that didn't happen. And we thought, oh, they parted their ways, they were fine, they went back their own ways, and that just it didn't, the deal didn't work out, and everyone's upset. But what we found is that Balaam tried to curse Israel those several times, but as he's parting, this man was greedy, as we know. His character was so greedy and needed money, he came up with the solution for Balak. And that is for cursing within, meaning let's entice these men with your women. Send your most beautiful women into the camp, sexually entice them, and before they 
as you're as they're moving them sexually, you bring out the idols, and they have to worship the idols to be able to commence with this sexual immorality. And that is the blend. That is how it works. So you want to do this, you're going to have to come and compromise here, and and that is how it works in regards to uh, immorality and following the false gods and the following of the flesh. So Satan's violence and sorcery can have no lasting influence on a believer because nothing can touch your life unless it's father filtered. But he can lead us into sin and then we would destroy ourselves within. So many people blame Satan all the time for what they did, but no, he just gave them opportunity. He just brought, you know, just roused your flesh up in the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He just roused those things up, and then he brings opportunities, and you and I make those decisions to commit to that sin, and that's what arouses the separation and the destruction of our lives. Because the enemy can never accomplish against Israel, but Israel did it to themselves through disobedience. And it's that same principle, that principle works among the people of God today. The mightiest attack of Satan against us can never do as much damage as our own sin and rebellion against God's way. It's just fact. And so the anger of the Lord aroused against Israel and Balaam had done this, done his best to curse Israel, but was unsuccessful. But yet he loved that money so bad, he ended up telling Balak, send in, this is how you're going to do it. Cause the destruction within. Every nation goes down, not because the enemy from the, on the outside. The enemy on the outside just waits for the, the nation, the inside, to come weaken and, and become, to start falling down. That's when the outside comes in after you. 2 Peter 2, verses 15 and 16, speaks of Balaam and his love for money and greed and covetousness as an example of this, this false prophets. That's, this is what they follow after is greed and covetousness. It says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, and he was rebuked for his iniquity, and a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So we see it in the New Testament here, even in Second Peter, how the, the, it's almost referred to as the way of Balaam. Now what happened to the guy? How did he fall down the way of Balaam? You can hear it many times referred to that. Jude 1, Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, greed and covetousness and greed of profit. Revelation 2.14 makes the connection between Balaam's unsuccessful attempt to curse Israel and the Subsequent idolatry says, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. There it is again in Revelation, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So you see that even in the New Testament, references back to what Balaam ended up doing at the very end after the four unsuccessful curses on the outside. He says, 
just let them destroy themselves on the inside, just entice them with their flesh. So essentially, after his failure, he decided he still wanted that money. I can almost see it in my mind as he's parting, as we read in the previous chapter, he's parting his way with Balak and going, oh, I didn't get all that money. And Balak's like, I can't believe there's a curse. And Balaam goes, oh, I got one more thing for you and turns around and gives this uh, coaching of, uh, uh, I can't curse them on the outside, but boy, you can let them send in the prettiest girls so that they can go in there and immorality and idolatry and God will turn after to correct his people. That's wicked counsel. (laughs) That is wicked counsel. You know what's interesting? You always ask the next question, what happened to Balaam? (laughs) <laughs> oh, just a side note. I'm not doing this, but you go to try think about this. And he, Balaam thinks he's getting away with something, but we will see in Numbers uh, chapter 31, verses 7 and 8 and 16 area, that Balaam, even though he was giving out that wicked counsel to Balak, and he's not the one that actually did it, he ended up dead among the enemies of God. He only enjoyed his money for a very short time. Not wise. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Woo! God's not happy. (laughs) And God's going to deal with it. He's not going to let this sin dwell and this rebellion dwell within his people. It's not going to happen. He's going to deal with it. And he goes to the leaders and and, and and he says to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders. Find these people who mixing uh, immorality with these women. Find them. You know who they are. You know what's going on in the camp. And so God thought it was important that the offenders be judged openly in front of everyone. And that was not, you know, that sin was not kept hidden. Oh, yeah, that, over that tent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're there, but don't say anything. You know, no, no. Everyone was making sure brought to light the sin within the camp. It was not going to dwell in the camp because that cancer would spread and would absolutely destroy God's people. So open sin had to be dealt with, with openly displayed in front of the people. And every one of you kill his men. Anyone who joined with these women, kill them. And since sin, it, it, such sin is, is this, uh, if it's tolerated in the culture, if it's tolerated, it's going to decay, and Moses wouldn't accept that decay. And so he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Every one of you, all were responsible to address the sin that were with, was aware of you. They couldn't just sit there and say, okay, Moses, it's your fault. No. Moses tells the leaders, leaders, it's all your fault. No, everyone in the camp understood it was their responsibility to address the issues of sin that was causing cancer or decay within the, the fellowship or within the, the people of Israel. We see that in, in Matthew 18 that it needs to be dealt with. Then we see in verse 6, 
Phineas coming on the, on the stand on the on the playing a big role here. We see that uh, not only is he get, the leaders are going to grab the people, find them, hang them, meaning they more than likely stone them first. That's how they they had uh, capital punishment is through stoning, and then once the dead bodies were there, they would hang the bodies so that people would know uh, these these individuals dead. But we see in verse six, and indeed one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brother a Mennonite woman in sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of all the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Whoa, that's that's boldness. When you're so driven by your flesh that you would openly bring this immoral woman that you're going to sleep with in and pass the leaders right there in front of the, 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 the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you're bringing them right past them all like, like this. He, that boy is driven and, and nothing was going to stop this boy. Oh, very unwise when the flesh drives you to the degree that you're past, you don't even see that the fact that you're not even hiding it anymore. That's how it works. Before you start, you go, ah, you're hiding your sin. Eventually, it gets a hold of you, and such a grip of the idols will grip your, that little goddess and gods will drive you where you don't care. It's so open, you don't even care. Look at our society today. It is so open now. It's so flagrant. It's everywhere. Because it's getting so bad. But look what happens as they're sitting there. We see now when uh, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, this is the priestly line, saw it. <laughs> what did he see? He saw what this guy is bringing this woman right to past us. He arose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman threw her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Whoa! So not only did God tell Moses, get the leaders track them down, everyone's responsible, figure out who is, is doing what they're doing. But he also caused a plague to come across the nation of Israel, across the entire tribes. And 24,000 had died until this moment. That plague would have wiped out the entire nation if it wasn't dealt with. But this man was ro rose up, this Phineas rose up took a javelin, and it's clear that Phineas was one among those in Israel who would not accept the extensive rebellion against God, this blatantness that was happening, and he brought God's judgment by thrusting through this Israelite man and this Midianite woman with a spear. And it appears seemingly that they were in the midst of immorality at the time because it took one javelin through both of them. Mm. They got the point. But Phineas was probably not the only one that was raising up, but he was the only man who took the steps to deal with it. And it was this singular act that this guy said, 
enough is enough. This sin cannot continue. It's, we're going to die. This is going to cause major problems. And because of this act, he stopped the plague and only 24,000 died from the plague. And sure enough, that, that curse within was about to kill and, and, and tr- tr- do tremendous damage within the people of, of God. 24,000 wiped out. Verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because of his zealous as zealous with my zeal among them, so that I do not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement to bring the people and that, that gap, that, uh, that atonement, that separation between God and the people. He became that, made that atonement for the children of Israel. He, deal, he dealt with it swiftly. So out of that zeal, that passion to, to the sin cannot happen. I'm going to deal with that sin. This is not right. It's not of God. This is, and dealt with it. Because of that, God blessed him. He says, my covenant of peace. Ah, a peace of God that's going to fill and move through him and his lineage. A covenant of an everlasting priesthood. What that means is that after, obviously, uh, the current... Uh, 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 chief priest, the, the office of priesthood, it would ultimately be channeled to Phineas and not to any other grandson of Aaron. We see that in First Chronicles chapter six, four through fifteen. Because after Aaron, it could have gone to different um, grandsons, but Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, would be the line that the priesthood would continue. And God said, "That is the man who's going to lead, and his families will be the one that's going to lead my people uh, spiritually in the years to come." Because he took a bold step for God and to deal with the issue, and then save the lives of the people. Verse 14, Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Mennonite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader, ah, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kozbi, or Kozbi, the daughter of Sir, he was head of the people of a father's house in Median. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the manner of Peor and in the manner of Kozbi, the daughter of the leader of the Median, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. So we see God says, okay, now you're going to it's going to fight back here because these two people notice, and I emphasized as I was reading both of them, it did not matter to Phineas that both these two people were children of leaders of their tribes. 
It didn't matter if they were in leadership position. It didn't matter if they were high and mighty on the, on the, the, the authority structure. If they didn't matter if there was a child of whatever position of authority. The sin has to be dealt with. It cannot not be tolerated. And so many times you hear stories, well, don't say anything. That is the fill in the blank, you know, the, the president's daughter, you know, the, the pastor's daughter, or the, the son of the, the deacon. Or, you hear these things. And people don't deal with sin. Sin must be dealt with regardless from the top down, period. Or there's going to be consequences. Now, when we move in here to chapter 26, we're going to see something interesting. We're going to find the final preparation for the God's people to go into the promised land. And God is going to ask them to do one more thing, and that is to do another census on the people. Interesting. We're going to do a census again. That's, this is interesting. We see in Numbers uh, chapter 26, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above. But their father's house, by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So Moses and Eliezer, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from twenty years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. So in these first four verses, we see that take a census. It, it came to pass. There was a time now. The plague had stopped. And now it appears they're going to move into the promised land, move forward. And so the Lord spoke to Moses. We're going to take another census. Let's count the bodies. But again, they're going to do exactly what they did before. 38 years earlier, if you remember, when they had a first attempt to go into the promised land, and out of uh, lack of faith and rebellion, they chose not to go in. But they did a census back then as, as at the, at the, when they were camped at Mount Sinai there. And we're going to see that in the beginning of the book of Numbers there, that when they did that, they, when they took the census, they did it for a primary reason, and that is for military uh, preparation, for military organization, because they had to get the people numbered and in order by, by tribes and by leaders. And, and remember all that study, and we had to have order before they were going to go in and be able to, uh, or uh, in a decent and orderly manner, to go into the promised land and deal with war after war and conflict to take the land over. Now, the first sense was primarily, again, for military organization. And if they entered and possessed that promised land, that it was made sure that uh, everyone was accounted for of how many people it would take to go in. Now, the second census, the purpose of the second census, was also made clear. They were to count those able to fight on behalf of Israel. Again, the same criteria, 20 or older, those who were able to go into war. And they are counting 38 years later. And, but I'm finding the first thing when you read that, it's like I'm wondering and curious how those numbers compare to the first census to the second census. Because it's been 38 years. And if you also remember, during those 38 years, the one generation was to all to die off and a whole new generation was to raise up and be born. Do you remember that? 
So what is it? I'm going to give you those numbers tonight so you can see what the, uh, the comparison is. But we see here, after 38 years, in verse 5 of chapter 26, the tribe of Reuben. The tribe of Reuben here speaks from verse 5 to 11, the children of Israel. And we see in those verses that they were numbered at 43,730. That was the number uh, that they, they, uh, they measured by. Now it goes on in these verses here and it talks about the different sons and Korah and the, those who died in through that. And, and, and a fire devoured 250 men uh, at the very end there. But they weren't necessarily the children of Korah that, uh, that died. But overall in that tribe of Reuben there was tr tremendous turmoil that took place. During the period of the first census, the second census, and rebellion, and, and death, and, and, and all of those things that took place. So what happened? What was the out, outcome of it? Well, we see that they counted 46,500 men already uh, for war. And then 30, uh, 38 years later, they counted, and we find 43,730. So they lost a total of 2,770 men or a minus 6% of, the, of the, that tribe. Now think that through. There was that many, in 38 years, they lost and gained, and they worked its way out to be 2,770 men, short. Now, notable in the tribe of Reuben was that Dathan and, and, and Abiram, uh, who were those core leaders of Korah in that rebellion that uh, was described in, in number 16. Uh, one of the things that was happening there was they resented, remember, Moses' leadership. They absolutely did not like his leadership. And, uh, and they really thought Reuben, uh, who's the firstborn son, should have been the one in, in power, not yet, not Moses. Uh, and... Uh, and, uh, and it, it obviously descended even to Levi, a younger son, was the leader of the nation. So, I mean, there was a lot of conflict in this. And you go back to number 16 to look at all the, the things that took place there. But that's what's mentioned in verses 5 through 11. Again, they lost 6% of their, um, the size of their tribe. In verses 12 through 14 is the tribe of Simeon. If you remember, uh, this is the guy who was javelined, pierced by uh, Phineas, uh, that it came from this tribe. But look what happened here. There were 22,200 count here. So uh, if you take a look at this, uh, 38 years before that, they were at 59,300 men. They went from 59,300, the whole transition and the loss and the rebellions and all these things. They were not blessed tribe. They're now 63% loss. They lost 37,100 men of war. That became the weakest of all the tribes. Why? Well, 24,000 died in the plague because... It appears probably from this tribe, which is from the guy who was openly <laughs> was, uh, sleeping with the, the Moabite woman. And it affected that entire tribe more than likely. It had the greatest impact. 
In verses 15 through 18, we see the tribe of Gad. In the first census, the tribe of Gad counted at 45,650 men ready for war. 38 years later, it's only now we see it there in verse 18, 40,500. They lost 11%. They lost 5,150 men of war to be able to fight. Verses 19 through 22, we see the tribe of Judah, the sons of Judah there. And all the the family lineage there. But in verse 22 we see they were numbered at 76,500. So Judah increased by 3%. They increased by 1,900. They went from 74,600 men back in the first census. And now they're up to 76,500. So that tribe grew uh, from that 38 years. Verses 23 through 25 is, describes the tribe of Issachar. And Issachar, if you see in verse 25, ended with uh, their number was 64,300. They increased by 18% because they were at 54,400. So they gained 9,900 people uh, from the first census to the second census. So that was a blessed tribe. Remember, <clears throat> back then, the larger the tribe, the, 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 the more blessed you were because God was adding and, and blessing you and, and fruitful in regards to the children and health and all of those things. We see in verses 26-27, the tribe of Zebulun. We see in there that uh, in verse 27, they came out here at the end of the census and the second one is 60,500 they increased by 5%. They increased by 3,100. They were originally at 57,400 men in the first census. So 57,400 up to 60,500. 60, Again, they, they were uh, a, blessed, a blessed tribe. Then we get to the sons of Joseph in verses 28 through 34. We see, remember, the sons of Joseph was counted in two separate counts. One for the son of Manasseh and the other one, the the tribe of Ephraim. And that's where you have to always look at the the number of tribes there. But the the son of Joseph has two different counts here. For for Manasseh, you'll see in verse 34, there were 52,700 men who were for war originally it was uh, 32,200 so this is the tribe that grew and was blessed the most they grew by 64 percent they grew by 20,500 warrior uh, men warriors compared to the uh, for the previous 38 year um, census in verses 35 and 37 the tribe of Ephraim and when you look at there in verse 37, you see that it was 32,500. So they decreased by 20% compared to their, his brother Manasseh. They were originally at 40,500 38 years ago. And here now, 38 years later, 32,500. So they lost 8,000 men in that transition. So the, again, these are, you're going to find why this is important during these 38 years, living for God and following God's way and, and the blessings that come from that. And look at uh, the tribe of Benjamin. We see the uh, tribe of Benjamin. They were numbered here on the second census at 45,600. 
They were originally at 35,400, so they grew 29% or 10,200 men uh, from the previous uh, census. The tribe of Dan, verses 42 through 43, they were numbered as 64,400. They increased by 3%, or 1,700. They originally were at 62,700 men. Now they're at 64,400 men, ready for war, ready to do what God's called them to do, and to protect their tribe and protect the nation of Israel. Now the tribe of Asher, the last uh, couple of tribes here, tribe of Asher in 40, uh, verses 44 through 47, we see in verse 47 there was 53,400 uh, men. Originally there were 41,500. So they gained 29% or 11,900 fighting men ready to go. And the last one is the tribe of Naphtali. We see that in verses 48 and fi- through 50. Uh, we see in verse 50 there was 45,400 uh, men numbered in that second census. Originally, it was at 53,400 men. So they lost 15% of their uh, warrior, uh, warrior or their, their army. <laughs> they lost 15% or 8,000 men uh, during those 38, uh, 38 years of transition from one generation to the next. So how does that all add up? Well, it adds up to the fact that when you look at verse 51, these are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. So originally, 38 years prior, do you know what the number was for the total number of the tribe of Israel? 603,550 men. So they lost... From in 38 years, the number total numbers uh, changed only by well, not only, but only by 1,820 men. They lost 0.3 percent of the population of the nation. And so you sit there and say, why is this important? Why did God just really bring this out in the census of one and the second census? I find this interesting. When you don't follow God and you rebel against God. And you're always fighting against and rebelling and questioning and, and just wanting to do it your way. And you've got, uh, you're not dealing with things within the, the family. You're never going to see a blessings. You're not going to see growth in your life. You're not going to see growth in a church. You're not going to see growth in a family spiritually. You're not going to see blessings that come from that from God. You're going to be very stagnant. You're going to look back and go... It's been 38 years I've been walking with the Lord. I've been a Christian 38 years. And then you look at your life and you're like, I don't think I've made any growth at all in my, my life with Christ. It's the same what it was 38 years ago. I find that very sad when I talk to someone who's been walking with the Lord 10 years, 20 years, 38 years. And they're not growing any more than they were when they, that first year when they were on fire for the Lord. It's sad. Because as you, over time, if you're continuing to seek after God, you'll never end knowing the full riches and understanding of who your Lord is. God is the Alpha and the Omega. You cannot end knowing who God is. You'll never come to a point where you're like, I know this. I don't care if you've memorized the Bible. 
That doesn't take you to a deeper relationship with God. It will help. But if you don't apply and you don't follow (laughs) and don't live by faith and continue to live by sight and continue to rebel against what you are reading, you'll be just like the nation of Israel. You'll just be right where you are when you first started. So it's it's really important that the stagnation of this population uh, just really reflects Israel's spiritual state after 38 years. That they haven't really grown. They haven't really prospered. They, they just, God just has maintained that. But we're going to see, is the generation now strong enough, bold enough to enter the promised land? Are they willing to now take a step of faith to go in? See, during this period, certain tribes suffered significant losses and significant gains. Five suffered losses, seven gained. And then finally, we see down here as we wrap up here, the inheritance of the land. Because now this is why the census, not only for material, uh, military reasons, but now based on the census, God is giving direction to Moses. You'll see in verse 52. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, to, this, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. Now the reward comes here. If you've uh, been prospering, growing, and you're going to be all based upon the number of, uh, of that census. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But... The land shall be divided by lot. Make a note there. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. So there's a plan. God has a plan. He's given Moses that direction of how this is all going to work out. Verse 57, we're going to see now the tribe of Levi and their inheritance. Why is that important? Because, and these are those who were numbered of the Levites. These are the priestly line these are the ones serving in the temple they do not get land they never was part of the census in the first one they're not part of the census in the second one because they do not get to inherit the land if you remember but number of the levites according to their families of gershon and the family of the gershonites and the kohath and the family of the kohathites and merari the family of the merarites these are the families of the levites the family of the Libnites and the family of the Hebronites and the family of the Mahalites and the family of the Mushites and the family of the Korathites and the Korath begot Aram. The name of the Aram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Aram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadab and Abednego, uh, Eliezer and Ithamar, and Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire from the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above. The difference with the Levites, they counted for one month and older. Why? Because they didn't go to war. 
They wanted all the numbers identified here, not just 20 and older to determine this, but look at this, every male one month and older and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. So the Levites were not numbered in either the first or the second census because the men of the tribes were not to go to war. Now, because there was no inheritance, they were to receive no inheritance of land as the other tribes. Their inheritance, inheritance was greater than property. It was the Lord himself, noted in Numbers 18.20. They had God in the fullness of God. God was going to provide for them. They didn't need the land for long term. They were their their whole livelihood, their whole lifestyle, their whole the future of what they were thinking of, what they would have for generation upon generation, was all in serving God and being about the temple. In verse sixty-three, we see these are those who were numbered of, by Moses and Eleazar the priests who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And among these, there were not a man of those who were numbered by Moses, Aaron, the priest, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So of all the 603,000, think about that, 603,000 plus in that first census, and all the people that were not even counted in that number, all two point whatever million people that was wandering through the wilderness, only two men survived after those 38 years. Just two. Not even Moses. He was the last of all the, that generation to die. He was able to go up to the mountaintop and look over what the promised land was there, but he did not get to go in. Only Caleb and Joshua, faithful men who said and believed what God said about the promised land, they were the only two. None of those... That generation of unbelief, God said, they all perished. Every single one of them. I know God was counting, making sure every single one of them. And now they're ready to go into the promised land because now this new generation is raised up. Caleb and Joshua will be used to bring them into the promised land. And God's story will continue in the next time we're here.